Hello and welcome to another episode of the Fuel Hotel Marketing Podcast. I am your host, Stuart Butler, and I'm joined today with Pete DeMeo. Hello, everybody. And Phil Fariska. Hey, everyone. And marketing, Misha Bakikio. Howdy, folks. And we are going to change up the format a little bit today. We've been listening to the um, feedback from all of you guys out there. And we've had a lot of new listeners, which is awesome. Thank you. Uh, please review us on iTunes if you haven't done so already. And share us and tell your friends about us. We'd love more and more people to keep listening. And we've had tremendous growth and success over the last few weeks. So we want to see that continue. But we have decided, based on the feedback, that we're going to switch up the format a little bit. And rather than just talking about one long topic for the whole episode, we're going to get into a couple of topical things early on and talk about some of the things going on in the news around um, hotel marketing. So let's do that. So Pete, you have any stories you, that caught your interest this week? I do. So one thing really interesting happened is I guess it was last week, but the new Google Trips app was seen in the wild and it is being beta tested. So that was reported on CNET and they actually have a few of the screenshots from the app itself. It's pretty exciting because it gives customers a way where they can basically plan and take their entire trip staying within the Google biosphere, if that's the right word for it. But it is cause for concern for portal websites and other large websites out there. So. Yeah, and even OTAs. You know, we know Google's getting into that the booking space with HPA and essentially are a meta search now. So the OTA should be scared. And, and, and even this is potentially a threat to TripAdvisor too because... Google's big on reviews. so Yeah, it's definitely big news. I think it's something to, to follow and see where it goes and when they actually launch this app. But it's definitely something to be paying attention to. Yeah, I mean, as, as a consumer, I'm ready to get my hands on this bad boy. But as, as a hotel marketer, it, I mean, it's one to watch. It could, yep. could be a disruptor for sure. So check that out on what you said, CNET? That was on CNET. Okay, cool. So Phil, what did you find interesting this week? Um, one thing I saw is not necessarily tech news, but I saw it on hotelmarketing.com that um, Hilton will be removing desks from inside hotel rooms. Um, they've been doing surveys and people just, you know, they don't feel a need to use them. People aren't using them anymore. They'd rather sit on beds or use lobbies to, to do their work within the room. So that was a, it was pretty neat to hear that they were removing it. I just, I didn't necessarily think that was the right choice of words, especially after talking to you about it. Yeah, so... Uh some of the other uh, chains had done this recently. Marriott had done it, and and I want to say I heard it on maybe the Skift podcast. Which if you if you don't listen to that, it's a great podcast. Obviously, listen to us first and then theirs. But <laughs> um, Skift does a great weekly podcast as well. And they were talking about there was a lot of backlash because when Marriott announced they were going to pull the them out, that they said it was because they pulled millennials, and millennials said they didn't want them. And Whenever you throw the term millennial in anything, it's it's a catalyst for all kinds of you know discussion. But really, the reality is like people don't use them as much as they used to because we're laptop. You know, we're we're just a little more comfortable on the bed. I mean, I I certainly still use the desk, but not everyone does. But I did talk to someone at a Marriott here in our local town in Myrtle Beach, and they're getting ready to do a complete refurbishment later this year. And and I asked them if they were going to remove the desk. They said they are, but instead they're going to be putting a bar up along the wall, which takes up a lot less space, but it's going to have a lot of plugs in it instead. You know, so the biggest problem I have when I travel is where do I plug in my phone and all my other devices, right? I have to unplug the alarm clock oftentimes to plug in my phone, which is frustrating. So 
Um, I, I think that's a good thing. As long as I've still got somewhere to sit with my laptop, I'm happy. Yeah, I'm up for it. We yeah, that's how you that. have to sell that. You don't say you're going to take something yeah, away. You don't say, say you're taking it away. Yeah. We're evolving the desk into yeah. this you know, new workstation, yeah. whatever you desk want to call 2. it. Desk yeah. 2.0, whatever you want to call it. But yeah, yeah I, I think the messaging's wrong. You don't ever say you're taking something away because then you're losing value. I so. feel like they went with the shock value. Like, oh, they're taking something away. And then you read the article like I did. But, you know, it was, it was kind of, it's kind of cool to see, you know, the evolution of the hotel room desk, I guess you could say. Yeah. Well, the hotel room, like, as a whole, though, it's not just the desk. I mean, there a lot of brands are really redoing everything from how the bed workspaces are laid out, the bathrooms, closet space. I mean, they're mm-hmm. doing a lot of work to make the, the rooms more efficient and get more rooms in a property, but also just eliminate all of that wasted space. Right. All right, so Misha, what do you have? I have an article that speaks more to the SEO community, but is definitely important for hotel websites as well. Um, It's an update that is coming out soon Um, on Google. They just announced that their page speed rank factor is now going to use mobile page speed specifically for mobile site rankings. Previously, page speed was factored into rankings. It has been for several years now. That's not a big secret, but they've been using just your overall page speed. So now what they're going to be doing is segmenting specific for mobile search results. Your mobile website page speed is what's going to be factored in there. So it's going to make it a lot more relevant to those mobile search results. And this kind of puts in a whole conversation of, you know, is it really better now to have a responsive site with all of the code versus a, a mobile dedicated site versus a mobile app? There's a lot of conversations to be had there, but this is kind of their first announcement of this is really, we're revamping mobile, we're spending a lot of time and effort onto this mobile search algorithm, so this is their latest update. Yeah, I think we're going to see that more and more often as, you know, different mobile updates, mobile becomes a bigger factor. You know, I, I think this is a good a move in the good direction here. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, the experience on mobile versus desktop is very different, and, and I'm, I'm glad you know that Google is treating them differently now because it was often that just because a, someone had a great desktop site, they would rank top of mobile, and the experience was not always great. So mm-hmm. this is a positive, but it, it, it makes it more complex for us as marketers to be factoring that in. Okay, how does my, my how do I optimize my mobile site versus my desktop site? Yeah, and you're talking about over 50% of your audience anyway. So Google's just helping us do what we need to be doing, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and it, you know, to Misha's point too, there's, there's a lot of discussion here because you got to factor in AMP pages, the accelerated mobile pages, and what Facebook's trying to do with their instant pages. There's, there's a lot of moving sand here in the mobile space. And uh, something we, we probably need to talk about more in a later episode of this podcast. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the article that I found was in Search Engine Land if you want to go read more about it. Gotcha. And Phil, where was you? I don't know if you mentioned I said it was on uh, hotelmarketing.com is okay. where they had mentioned it. Gotcha. Great. Um, and we'll put links to all three of those articles in the notes of this podcast so you guys can jump right over to those. So that's kind of our little roundup of the week. Let's talk about our main topic today. So we're going to get into a little bit of a gray area. We're being a little nefarious today, but um, I'm going to actually kind of set the table by looking at the question of the week. Uh, Pete, you have this week's question? Yeah, so this week's question comes to us from Anna R. And her question is, should I bid on my competitors' keywords in AdWords? Okay. Where do you guys stand on that? I stand on team no. I'm okay with it. I think, you know, doing it in the right way, it's fine. You're obviously not allowed to use their 
you know, name in your ad copy, but if you can steal a couple uh, couple guests away from your competitor, I'm, I'm all for it. See, I'm team, well, strictly for AdWords, I'm team no because it's a branded search, so I feel like if they're looking for a specific brand, your return is not going to be that great, and from an AdWords perspective, your quality score is also not going to be that great, so you're going to end up paying a lot more for that branded click than you were for your own brand. I can see, you know, stepping out on a ledge, kind of trying something new, but I just don't think the return is there. So I'm on Team Clinton. Uh, what is the definition of keyword? <laughs> because yes, you don't, you can't go ahead and bid specifically on brand name or use brand name in the ad copy, but you can get really close to that. And you know, it's a it's a gray area, but it's one of those areas where if it's a keyword that is also within your competitive space, I think it almost behooves you, and if you're an agency, your clients, to be paying attention to those terms and possibly running on them as well. If you have the budget for it, that's you should go for it. If you if I wouldn't go as a you know, use that as a you know, first tactic. That's that's if you have extra budget to spend, you can you can try those type of things. Yeah, yeah. I think that's a good point right there is everything we're gonna talk about really in this whole podcast is you've already covered the basis. Now what's the next step? Yeah, yeah. certainly. This is like 25th on your list of things you should try right behind a lot of other tactics so I, I think in context it can work and we have actually tried it in the past with certain clients that, that have been very aggressive and had that ex- excess budget Here, here's a for instance where I think it could work right if you're a hotel that has just re- renovated and developed some really cool new amenity that's fairly unique in your market right so say Up until now, there's only one hotel in your city that has a bowling alley. And they're getting searches for their brand. Then running an ad on their brand saying brand new bowling alley, something like that. This is the reason people go to this hotel. I've seen that have a positive ROI. But I'm with Misha, generally speaking, if you're just going to say don't stay there, stay here, that does not tend to work, right? Right. And I feel like we've seen this tactic, maybe not so much in the hotel space, but in other spaces where things have gotten really competitive. Um, let's say, you know, cell phone providers or cable TV where it's just gotten so cutthroat. I think we've seen a lot more of that. But I personally haven't seen it as much in the wild as you might say yeah, for the hotel space. Well, cell think, phone providers is a big one. That's a good call there. And yeah. insurance as well. Yeah. And one thing to look at there for there is, especially even in the hotel industry, you see people do it. You don't see people do it for a very long time. Yeah, And that's kind of telling that, hey, maybe being uber aggressive and going after their specific brand is not very effective. Yeah, and and Google kind of takes an agnostic stance on this. They they say, you know, we're not going to interfere. We're not going to arbitrate this. So um, you can do it. But again, like Misha said, you've got to make sure the math works. You've got to make sure, sure that it's positive ROI. So that leads into this week's topic, which really... When you think about it, any destination has a finite number of people visiting. So the chamber or CVB or whoever the marketing organizations are to drive awareness and demand for the destination, they're trying to get tourists interested in, say, Poughkeepsie, right? Then the individual hotels have an equal shot at trying to get those people to come. So the topic today is... How do you, if you're already doing the basics, you're doing SEO and AdWords and email and social and meta search, all this other stuff, how can you tip the balance in your favor and take some of the market share away from your competition, right? So this is something that there's a little nefarious, it's a a little gray area, like we said, but it can be effective if it's done right. So 
we found an article um, that was published recently on um, WordStream. And if you're not familiar with WordStream, CEO Larry Kim wrote this article. And it, it's basically five brilliant tips on ways to take competitive market share, right? And um, what WordStream does, they're a company that provides software to help you manage advertising budgets on AdWords and you know on search, on social and other places. They offer also offer uh, services to manage that, that software for you too. So they're, they're big in that space. They do a great job. We don't have any affiliation with them. We don't use their software or anything like that, but we're very familiar with it. They, they're, they're great. Check them out, WordStream. I'll put that link in the bottom of this article uh, for the blog as well. But they had five different tactics to try if you want to try to steal market share. So let's kind of go through those one by one and, and talk about the pros and the cons of each as it relates to hotels. So what's number one? So number one was to target Facebook users whose interests include your competitors. And I found this one of particular interest just because we have successfully utilized this tactic here for some of our clients. The thought process behind it is, let's say you are a resort, um, you know, in this case, maybe a, a resort with a water park amenity. And, um, you know, you're trying to appeal to other people who like water park amenities. So you do a little bit of competitive research, whether that's in market or out of market, and find other properties that offer those same amenities and target those pages fans. A little sneaky, but um, it's actually really easy to do in Facebook. It's just an interest-based targeting. There does seem to be a little bit of limitation as far as um, page size. Um, it has to have a certain amount of page likes or if it has too many page likes. So there seems to be a range that is somewhat undefined, but um, at least for us it's worked pretty well and we've been able to get highly qualified page likes, people that are really interested in that particular amenity at a pretty low cost. So it's it's an interesting tactic and it's something that's really easy to implement through Facebook and you know we've seen some pretty good success with it. Right, and I think it goes without saying with all of these that we're going to talk about, be realistic about who your competitive set is. I don't, if, if, you, if you're a, a Cono Lodge, don't go targeting the Ritz-Carlton yeah. in your market, okay? Because that's a different consumer. So you've got to find a property that is in your comp set that offers similar amenities or is in a similar vicinity. Um, something that someone going to that property has a legitimate chance of choosing mm -hmm. you when they're looking around. Like so. As flattering as it might be to think your water park is as great as Atlantis, <laughs> might yeah. need to yeah, reel your, that in a little bit. The 10-foot lazy river just doesn't cut it. Yeah, no. yeah. So be realistic when you're doing this, but I, I really like Facebook advertising in general. We talked about that in our paid advertising episode. Um, it, it offers the ability to target more granularly than any other advertising platform out there. And, and it's really, really cost-effective to advertise mm -hmm. on Facebook. So th there are debates about whether or not you're, you know, it's an interruption versus someone that's already looking for something like on search. But we've seen positive ROI from it. I think a lot of folks I talk to have seen positive ROI. I think this is just an extension of a, of a, a good, solid Facebook strategy. Absolutely, especially when you layer this on to some of your other targeting that you're already using. So you already have some customer personas built out. You're already reaching your ideal customer, but you're adding another layer on saying, hey, we know these people you know, are our general customer, but we already know that they like water parks or whatever. So you're just adding on another layer to your targeting and making it an even more qualified customer. So what about the messaging? What would you guys say is appropriate? Like what should you be saying in these kind of ads? I don't think you should 
go after your competitor. Like I wouldn't mention anybody's name specifically, um, but I would maybe highlight your amenities and your property and, you know, discuss why you're awesome. You yeah. know, say you've got yeah. a, a brand new water park, you know, it's got a 300 foot water slide. I mean, highlight why you're good and don't necessarily highlight why they're bad. Yeah, and highlight why you're different and where your competitive advantages are. If you know that they have a fantastic water slide, but their dining options are horrendous, really play on the fact that you have great water amenities, but you are the best at in Poughkeepsie, you know, on, with dining, and really hit that so as that customers going through their shopping process, that you're kind of you know poking them a little bit with their weakness of their dining. Right. I mean, the risk with any of this is always if, if you're doing this to them they can come back at you the opposite way, right? So you definitely don't want to create a turf war or alienate anyone. I think, I think mm-hmm. it's fair to send messaging to, to your competitor's customer, but you know there's a, a, an honor code that you should probably live by while you, when you're doing it. All right, so what's number two? Number two is um, the YouTube pre-roll ads. Um, so these, I mean, everyone's seen them. They're the ads that play before any YouTube video, but you actually have a pretty good way to target this against your competition if you choose to. Um, running running these ads and, and targeting keywords such as your competitor's brand name or whatever your competitor's main differentiator is, whatever their amenity is, like Misha said, water park. If they have a great water park, you, know, you can target keywords based on that. And essentially what you're trying to do is run your YouTube ad right before their YouTube video. So you, you, you show up before the, the, the branded search that the user made. Um, you, you, can, you can, again, point out some of your strengths, not necessarily their weaknesses, but some of your strengths, and, and maybe you get that user to jump straight to your video, straight to your site, rather than even watching the competitor's video. Right, and, and the, in the WordStream article, they, they gave the example that AT&T and, um, was it Sprint was Sprint, doing yes. this, right? Where he was looking for AT&T and a Sprint um, video came up first that did go after AT&T and said why Sprint was better, which again, we're not advocating for that if we think that crosses a line. But if, if these big guys are trying this approach, then you know it's probably working. Yeah. Well, we see that in their television ads as well. They go they go right for the throat every time. That's mm-hmm. just what they do. We're not saying you should do that as a hotel. That's yeah, a starting to turf war. Like we I think one thing with the really the pre-roll of ads is making sure, one, you know your competitor is also in that customer's decision set. So making sure that you are in that decision process if for some reason that customer does not know you exist, that's a perfect opportunity to just say, hey, listen, we're also out here. You're probably not going to even get them to see the whole pre-roll, but if they know that other properties are there, you may be the next video that they end up watching. And we've seen some good success with that. You know, we're not doing this competitive targeting on, on YouTube, but we are running a lot of YouTube ads, and we've seen good success, good Good watch times and oh yeah, you know, especially when you're talking about times. like I mentioned, if you're if you have a really good differentiator, if you have something that sets you apart from everybody else, and you highlight that in your video, it it that's what we've seen get the long views and, and yeah. click throughs. You've got to get their attention right away because right. people Within are waiting first, for that skip ad button seconds, to show up. Yeah, you've got to really grab attention. And I will say this: and this is one of the pro tips for this podcast. If you are running ads against competitors on YouTube or any video platform, make sure you have a decent video presence on 
YouTube or wherever that might be. You don't want to try to convince that customer to shift mediums and then go to, you know, a website where they're reading. We know they like to watch videos. Before you do that, make sure you have a good video up mm -hmm. that you can send them to. All right, what's next? All right, so the next one is how can we target people via Gmail ads and Yahoo mail ads? This is a pretty this is a pretty cool one. Uh, we've seen these ads on you know primarily Gmail since probably around 2013, and the full program became available actually in September of 2015. So it's a relatively new program, but it is very interesting. If you use Gmail, you use Gmail. You know, in a browser on a on a phone, you'll see those ads at the top where it's a promoted email of some kind. Uh, initially, it made people really nervous because it you know people thought that their emails were getting indexed on the web and marketed toward. Uh, that's really not the case, but it is an opportunity for you to go after competitors. Uh, kind of give you an idea of the the scope of this, and this is one of the individual tactics in a a broader campaign. But according to Litmus, every month they do a report of email usage. And Gmail and Yahoo make up about 20% of email usage and where people are consuming their emails. Uh, on a side note, 45% is consumed by iOS devices, either iPhones or iPads. If they're using them on those devices and the native email apps, they're not seeing these ads but you do about 20% of the email population that's going to be exposed to, you know, primarily the Gmail ads, Yahoo as well. Uh, hotels already have a track record using these ads for both finding new customers, but also finding those customers of the competitors. In this case, Marriott International, through their Renaissance brand, has been experimenting and working with Gmail ads quite a bit. And what they found was Customers from the Gmail ads, or Gmail almost emails is what they really are, had a 25% longer time on site and visited 18% more pages than a customer from you know, other mediums. So it is a very, very viable strategy. Even if you don't look at this strategy from a targeting competitor standpoint, put it on your radar as something to make a part of your broader PPC campaign. Yeah, and the format of these ads is it looks like an email in their inbox, right? So you've got to treat the, the subject line like you would an email subject line. It's got to be clickable. It's got to be something that gets their attention and makes them want to click. It really does. Uh, you want to look at the subject line as the ad text, more or less. And you're building an email or, or you're building the landing page within the email design itself. So it kind of does both all at once. So mm -hmm. you really want to make sure you're looking at it from both perspectives. How you can use this to target the competitor is really twofold. One, start by looking at your at your competitors' emails because we can target based on a keyword set. You know, so if we know that the hotel in Poughkeepsie that we're talking about has fantastic water amenities, well then we kind of want to include water amenities in our keyword set that we're targeting. That way we know when that customer has one of those emails in their inbox, guess who's at the very top of it? That will be our property. So that's one way you can work on, on targeting them. You know, the other thing you can do as well is look at your own emails and see which subject lines work really well. Take those and transfer them over to your, ad, your Gmail ad text for your subject line and build your, 
your email out underneath that. One thing to keep in mind though is you don't really have as much capabilities as you do in a regular you know, AdWords ad. You don't have market segments because that would really be a breach of privacy from an email perspective. So you can't do a lot of the retargeting that you would like to do. You can do targeting on things like obviously keywords, interest, affinity, demographics, and really finding out who your customer is and targeting them. Uh, so not only are you doing it for your own property, you're really looking at who that ideal customer is for your competitor and making sure you're building ads out you know, to target them. So it's not going to the whole you know, group of people who use email, but it is going to a good 20% of them and something that everybody really should consider. Yeah, and Yahoo's program's a little different than Gmail's, mm -hmm. or at least it, last time we, we looked at it hard and we, we talked to Yahoo for at length about this probably a year or two ago, but they offered, and I, I believe they still offer the same program where you can actually target people that are subscribed to a specific brand's mailing list. Mm -hmm. So you can say, okay, anyone that's subscribed to this, this competitor, this competitor, and this competitor, I want to be able to target ads to them. So that's just another kind of spin on the same concept. Same rules of engagement apply. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and keep in mind, though, that if you are targeting your competitors very aggressively, well, they get their own emails. Mm -hmm. And if they're using a web-based client, either you know a Gmail client or a Yahoo client, they're seeing your ads. So you can kind of expect you know, some return fire if you start getting you know, overly, overly aggressive mm -hmm. toward that competitor. For sure. All right, what's up next? Uh, next, we're going to jump into um, display advertising against competitors. So the WordStream article we're talking about, it mentioned using affinity, affinity audiences to steal customers from your competitors. So an affinity audience is basically creating an audience based on their interest or site that, sites that they have visited. Um, so basically you want to target people who like travel, uh, travel buffs, you know, oceanfront travelers, family vacations, people who have those type of interests, but you can also go directly to your competitor's website, enter their URL straight in, and um, basically AdWords finds the brand trademarks and behavior of people who either visit or are interested in that same domain that we were looking for, and um, it, basically that type of targeting just gets people familiar with your brand and could potentially steal them away from the competitor. But um, you're, you're, you're trying to develop an audience based on who has visited your competitor's site there and serve them display ads from there. And we've spoken before how we, we are not big fans in general of display advertising in the hotel space. And this is on the extreme end of, of whether or not these people are qualified. So there's, this out of everything we're talking about today is probably bottom of the pile for me personally. But, you know, again, if you have the budget yeah, and you want to experiment, then, then it's something to play around with. Especially if you're, tr if you're new to a market, you're trying to get your, the word out there. Say so you just built your property, you know, th then it's probably viable because you've got to spend a little more money to advertise. That might work. Right. This is, I mean, like Stuart just said, this is for brand awareness or if you just have excess budget. This is definitely not tactic A. You know, you don't pick this one right out of the gate. Yep. I agree. And I'll get on a soapbox for two seconds <laughs> with, with, I've had so much experience with booking hotels and then after I've already booked, seeing the display after. God. So, and which is a problem we've all probably had. But just in the hotel space, I mean, I'm on board with you, Stuart. I don't personally think it's as effective and when I have seen it, it's just 
implemented terribly wrong. So if you're interested in it and you do need help, let me know because I got you. (laughs) (laughs) All right, and then number five on the list. We are rounding off the list with a little bit of Twitter. So number five is download and target your competitors' Twitter followers. And this is a concept that has been around for a while and it's been done manually before, but now there's a lot of companies that have tools that can help you with this. And I'll kind of build upon some of the ones that he mentions here in the article. The first one they mention is Birdsong Analytics. And this is a, not free, but it's a very cost-effective tool. And what it allows you to do is download a list of your competitor's followers. And then you can use these lists and upload them to Twitter ads and be able to target those people specifically. So that's pretty handy. Some other tools that we have experience with um, are Follower Wonk, which is actually a Moz tool. Um, And we use Moz for a lot of other things. It's a really awesome tool. And Tweepy, which is one that we've recently discovered. Um, These are really helpful to help you follow people who follow you. Um, follow other page fans, follow people who are on certain lists, um, and they offer a few other premium features as well. But really going after people who are either interested in your competitors or are interested in something that your competitors offer. So an example might be, let's say you're a really big resort in Las Vegas and you just redid your conference space, so you really want to start attracting more conferences. You know, you could use this um, specifically on Twitter to look at other big properties that are known for hosting big conferences. Um, you can look at conference planners. Um, you know, you can look up certain hashtags. There's a lot of ways that you can get a little bit creative and outside of the box to start targeting. Um, you know, people who are interested in what you have to offer that your competitors do a really good job at. Yeah, and I like this one because one, it's very inexpensive. You know, and it and it's a long term strategy that that it's not like display advertising. You show an ad, they react or they don't. If you can continue to target ads to Twitter followers and get them to follow you on Twitter, then you can keep marketing to them again and again and again. You know. So. Yeah, the key is there's make sure, one, what you're targeting them with and the overall persona of your Twitter profile matches that customer. Because mm-hmm. otherwise they're going to follow you and then leave you. Make sure that you're kind of continuing that conversation with that customer. You're going to be relevant because <clears throat> you have a competitor who's in that same space. But make sure you keep that up and make that customer your customer. Yeah, so I mean this this can you can sometimes find a little pot of gold too. We we've done this on the fuel side where, you know, our competitor competitors in our space, other agencies may have a list that says customers, you know, and, and if that's a public list, we can now see who their list of customers are on Twitter and now we can follow them and engage with them and show ads to them. So Think about from the other side. Be careful when you're publishing these lists to make sure you're not giving away, you know, competitive advantage to other people. But um, yeah, I I like Twitter a lot. Yeah, it's effective and it's inexpensive. Yeah, I mean, you want to try everything you can. Everything we talked about is not like you know to Phil's point. The first thing you do. This is after you get the bases covered. You know, so so work it in as you can to your marketing. I think the, you know, the first one and actually my favorite one, if you're looking to dip into this, start with Facebook. It's really easy to use. Facebook ads are really, um, you know, user friendly as far as the setup. And I think it's kind of the least aggressive way to be aggressive. Um, Mm -hmm. It's, you know, it's a more soft approach and it's, it's very effective and it's cost effective. So that'd probably be my recommendation for a starting point. And everybody's there. Yeah. Yeah, everybody's there. And regardless of what platform you decide to become aggressive toward your competitor, 
make sure you are adding to your customer's journey at choosing an accommodation. You know, if you're just going out there to try to take their business, but you're not offering anything, it's not going to be effective. If you can go out there and give something new to the customer, share new information with them, give them tools to make a better decision, you'll make your you'll earn your own customer, even though it started with that other competitor. Okay, well that about covers this topic. Again, you know, we've said this multiple times. This is not where you start. If if you want other ideas for ways to generate business, go listen to some of our earlier podcasts. We had a good one on SEO and on paid advertising. So certainly be doing everything on that paid advertising episode before you implement any of this stuff. But guys, guess what? We are more successful than Star Wars. Oh. You want to know why? It was 39 years ago last week uh, was when the first Star Wars came out, right? And they've taken 39 years to create seven episodes. And guess what? We, <laughs> guess what we just did? <laughs> we created our eighth episode. That's this. Are you not counting the Battle of Endor? I'm not. Well, Caravan of Courage and Battle of Endor are non-canon. Okay. So, no, I'm not. They don't count. I, I, they do not count. In terms of actual episodes, we're, yeah. we're one better than Star Wars. Wait, do you not count the episode that Family Guy did? <laughs> that is Does non-canon. Does that not count? None of the Lego shorts, none of that stuff So, is can we create either. a non-canon version of this podcast? We could. It could be a spin-off. <laughs> Yes. Can we get Family Guy to pick up this podcast, though? There's a question. <laughs> potentially, potentially. But, guys, thank you so much for listening. We really appreciate all the feedback and the, the love and support that we're getting from the marketing community and the hotel industry. We'd love to see that continue. So, please tell your friends about us. Come review us um, on SoundCloud, uh, iTunes, Google Play, Stitch, or wherever you listen to us. Send us your tweets to at Fuel Travel. We're always going to respond to any kind of questions you have you might even get talked about on the podcast like anna are today and then guys where can they find you on the web yes you can send me marketing related questions or pictures of cats to at marketing misha that's m-e-i-s-h-a uh, you can find me on twitter at p fariska p-f-o-r-i-s-k-a and i'm at p dmao p-d-i-m-a-i-o and you can find me at Stuart Butler, S-T-U-A-R-T-B-U-T-L-E-R. And you have been listening to the Fuel Hotel Marketing Podcast.